Hello and welcome to Off the Record. We are back this week in the middle of a very hot summer with presumably one of us in New York and one of us in New Jersey. And uh, the last few episodes have been a little more business minded and we're getting into some not business stuff today. Um, but first, we have a little follow up question from a listener uh, pointed at Jesse. You can always ask us feedback or leave us feedback, rather, ask us questions at offtherecord.fm. Uh, we always like including that in the show, so keep going there to do that. But, Jesse, you want to read this question and go for it? So the question is, y'all talked a bit in episode 10 and the latest episode about the role of the producer, specifically about the effects on the creative process, changing things like tempo, strong structure, guitar lines, etc. Do you find this process is the same for unsigned bands who are paying their own way for their first recording with a producer? It seems that most producers book in blocks of time to record with bands. Do time constraints sometimes force a producer to check out creativity? Um... So there's, like, three things to unpack in there, I think. Uh, yes, unsigned bands, you still get that level of production. I pretty much don't take on a production unless we have the time to do this stuff, and I kind of can't not do this stuff in my own personal process. But sure, some producers totally check out and don't do this. Uh, I don't allow myself to take a record unless I can get in there, tweak the songs. Like, you know, I do this because I want to listen back to the records I make. I want to go in there, get in, and do it. And, um, you know, when I was younger, I used to take that rec those records where, like, band wants to do 14 songs in a day or whatever. I don't do that. Um, I give a realistic estimate to what it is. But also, just because you're an unsigned band doesn't mean you shouldn't be devoting the money to do this. No one wants to hear another crappy demo that's halfway done of your song. They want to hear something exceptional. And if you're not making that, no one's going to share it, and you're going to be wasting your time anyway. Um... As far as most producers book in blocks of time to record with bands, that's also not always the case either. I mean, a perfect example is, like, I've been working with uh, one band called Heyana, uh, like, every Sunday for a month or so, and then, like, some other bands come in every few days. You know, that's not always true. Sure, blocks are common, but they don't need to be. Um, a lot of producers can fit you in here and there. Uh, and, uh... Do time constraints sometimes force a producer to check out creatively? Yeah, I mean, I love to have um, a half a day at the end of four songs or a day at the end of um, eight to 12 songs to just listen back and see if there's holes in the arrangement, stuff like that. Th that day can really mean the difference between a good production and a great production. Um, so having that time to do that is definitely one of those things that separates the men from the boys. And when you think about it, you know, most studio times, that's like $250 between a band of five people. That's $50 each to be able to have that time. If that's not worth it for you, for your music, then I suggest giving up because no one's ever going to care about your music. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can just move Nothing. on from there. I mean, there's yeah, I mean, I, I, getting real, real early in the uh, right. podcast. <laughs> cool. So the, uh, the main sort of thing we're going to talk about today is... Um, some kind of band that's not necessarily a pop punk band, but somewhere in there, uh, Five Seconds of Summer. Uh, they have been, for those who don't know a ton about the band, but keep seeing their band name every day on Twitter for the last six months. Uh, Five Seconds of Summer is an Australian... Boy band. A boy band, boy band that is very much influenced by, own, their, from the, by their words, uh, by pop punk bands of the 
mid 2000s. So think um, Blink and Good Charlotte, Fallout Boy, Simple Plan, Boys Like Girls um, are who they cite as sort of their main influences, as well as more like current pop, pop, punk bands like All Time Low. Um, and so this band recorded most of their debut album, which came out last week. Uh, that would have been the 22nd of July. They recorded most of it with producer John Feldman. Uh, they're gearing up to sell about 200,000 copies week one. They have been touring exclusively with One Direction. Uh, so they're very much in that world. They also just announced a full a tour, an arena tour in, in North America a year out. Uh, so for summer 2015. And there's been a lot of quote-unquote controversy with them uh, because they keep calling themselves a pop-punk band and then maybe many people that like pop-punk are very offended by it. Um, but what brought us up to talk about it was that last week Alt Press revealed them as the, the uh, their new cover stars for this month's issue. Uh, and there was some interesting quotes from uh, John Feldman and others about the band on the release as sort of testimonials to the band because there seems to be a lot of insecurity on all fronts. I think insecurity is actually a pretty good way to think about it, right? Agreed. Jesse, you found the you found this quote, which we'll be including in the show notes uh, about Feldman. Interesting. Do you want? You should read so it. So John Feldman, and I'm going to start by saying this: somebody I have the utmost respect for. It has always been a pleasure when I've met him before. Um. So anything I say, I say with the utmost respect because I'm going to really not say nice things. Um, If there's anyone out there who likes rock music or is in a band who rips on Five Seconds of Summer because they're a boy band or didn't tour long enough in a van, wherever the fuck people may say, all they're doing is hurting one of the only chances in 2014 for us to continue hearing guitar-driven music on the radio. If you want to take that out, you're starting all over again. Yeah. I like that. I know we're going to disagree. Oh, a lot that's a, that's, stuff, that's so. really interesting. But go ahead. I think it's the biggest fucking crock of shit I've ever heard. Um, Avril Lavigne did not bring punk up, and this is just the fucking NSYNC of pop punk Avril Lavigne shit. Um, this band, it's it's fake, and everything I hate about when the word punk gets put, and I'll even put all time low right into this because. I know that your generation does agree, but I find that shit sickening. Um, and I'm sure they're great guys and um, whatever. And I listen, I listen to tons of lame things that call itself punk. I think that Forever Sickest Kids record is amazing, that first one. And that shit is not punk to me, though, at all. Um, but here's my, like, big thing. And we got into this. is like my definition of punk comes from this Joe Strummer quote that says... Um, Punk rock is an attitude that don't give me any bullshit because I can see right through to the heart of the situation attitude because I'm wise to the tricks of the world. We're sick of the bullshit. Give us some truth. That's the energy of punk rock. There's nothing real about these kids in, like, first off, like, you know, the picture right next to John Feldman's quote, like, with the, like, intentionally worn um, holes in their Nirvana shirt and stuff like that and, like... It's, it's fucking ridiculous, and I'm sorry, and I even think when you have these fucking co-writers on your music, I think it's the fucking lamest fucking shit there is, and um, it just crosses a line for me where this, like, commercialism and the pose of it all, it was the same problem I had with all the MySpace bands, I find it gross, and 
What I saw over the years of somebody who's seen punk come and go four times now is that when a real band comes along with a real pedigree and taste of the business, like a Nirvana, a Green Day, even when, um, what do you call it, like the drive through era of bands, they would pull up a scene because it was more natural. But like every time these posed boy bands that are supposedly punk or whatever um, come in, it doesn't pull anything new into the scene. And yes, John Feldman is right. You can hear guitar music on the radio. Does that really fucking matter anymore? Like, is that even a fucking thing? I'm really getting pissed. So when Avril Lavigne was on the radio, um, I don't know what that was. That was probably like 2002, 2003 maybe. Um, I would say that like that doesn't necessarily hold up as much to me because in, in those years, like all these bands like Blink or Green Day or Yellow Card or Newfound Glory were also on the radio. And I don't like I don't know that anyone was looking for Avril Lavigne to save uh, like guitar music on the radio. So I I just think if we're specifically talking about Feldman's quote here and like what he says about the they don't have to tour in a van for ten years to get people to like them and they don't have to you know and they don't have to you know they're not a boy band basically and so I think if you're going to use someone like Avril like. There was also, there was pop punk music or punk music or whatever on the radio during that era. Today, there isn't at all, really, I would say. Um, and so I think, I think that's a large difference as well. No one was asking Avril Lavigne to like lift up bands into the radio world. Um, they were already there. But I think, I think kind of like what Feldman gets into a little bit and, and what I think is the, in, the most interesting aspect of Five Seconds of Summer is that Five Seconds of Summer aren't necessarily, in my mind at least, uh, or from what I've read and can tell about the the four guys in the band, is that they're not trying to, um, they're not trying to create like a fake world around them. In fact, they're trying to use the world around them that they claim they love, which is these pop punk bands like All Time Low or Blink, like uh, you know Alex Gaskarth co-wrote a bunch of songs on the record with them, and we can definitely get into co-writing on this episode or a later episode, but I, I find it, in, I, I think to me what's most interesting about this band is that they are uh, working with and in that sense paying um, all these artists that they love that make the music they like uh, in, a, in a way to get them on the radio. And then, and this is kind of the bigger picture of what I wanted to talk about, what if in a year from now when Five Seconds of Summer go on their sold-out arena tour, if they take all time low and panic at the disco out to open them. And yes, we can get into like a whole thing about whether those bands are punk or not, but that I think that would be kind of stupid sure, to take sure, away from sure. the discussion. I, I, I admit like, I'm, there's I'm in a, the minority here on this one. Well, I don't, I don't think all time low is a punk band. I don't think there's anything less punk than taking promo shots and bathing suits with your tops off and putting an album cover where you're blasting off champagne bottles. That's the least punk shit in the world to me. I don't think they're. I don't think they're a punk band. But if, like, if you want to, if you want to get back to the van thing that Feldman said, like, All Time Low are a very, sure. very hardworking band, and they, and like, that that has nothing to do with being punk or not. You can be hardworking, of course, regardless of whatever you are or whatever job you're in. But I think with Five Seconds of Summer, let's say they do take out 
Panic at the Disco and All Time Low and some other band in this world, then there's suddenly a legitimate chance that the, I don't know, 20 or 40,000 people that see this band every night walk away with hearing about All Time Low for the first time ever. Because these aren't like people like me, like 21-year-olds like me. They're like 14-year-old new fans that don't know really anything except about Five Seconds of Summer. So what do you think about the... The potential of well, one the like all these songs that may get on the radio. Uh, there's a chance that someone in a band I very much like, or someone on Property Zach very much likes. There's a chance that they wrote them mm-hmm. those songs. And obviously Feldman here, this is huge for Feldman. Sure, but like, let's also <laughs> he's had a number. Feldman produced Avril Lavigne. Yeah, you know he's done right, he's right, done right. tons I, of cheesy pop people over the years, and I don't think this is a new thing for him. Nor do I think this is like his big. Br- Here's another point I'd like to make about John Feldman. Goldfinger brought a lot of people into the scene, and they were a legitimate, real band. <laughs> and that's brought a good influence into the scene, not idiot, materialistic, teeny bopper idiots. Like, it brought people in who had a punk ethic, and, like, this does not do that. And I think he's going against his own example of what his legacy is. But who, like, so how do we know? That I've lived through that. I knew, I know who got into what, and I know who I'd talk to at shows, and it wasn't. Um, there was tons of idiots who, you know, two years later were then listening to Limp Biscuit when they got into got into it through some lame band. And it's like, you know, there's always been these bands, and I just don't. I still don't see it. You know, even. John Feldman was big, big involved in the used in story of the year. Real bands, real ethics, not put together bullshit male model fucking lameness with fucking fake rips in their clothes to look like they're edgy. Right, so, uh, all right, well, <laughs> what if I just I don't know where to go with you right now? What if so? What if they do take out all time low and then suddenly all time low is on the radio? A year late. Like what? What about the legitimate perspective that if five seconds of summer? gets popular enough like One Direction where they actually have like massive influence over hundreds of thousands of people in each and every city or town or whatever that if they they get like they they have their own following right and everyone that listens to they are the leader of all of their hundreds of thousands of fans right and those kind of fans eat everything up and that's great and so if they and I would imagine this is a thing I imagine that like they are going to stay true in their own mind to what they like and what they think is good. And if they then suddenly say like cool, we're going you everyone should listen to All Time Low. We're going to take out Andrew McMahon or Jack's Mannequin or whatever any of these bands. If you like go down their Twitter feeds, the members, they just tweet lyrics of drive-through era bands all day. Like that's actually what they it seems to be listening to or else they're just very I don't good. find it without the possibility that a, that a band of good-looking people listen to uh, drive-through stuff. It's just. I, so, what do you think about the? I think a legitimate chance if, when they are large enough in a year from now, they say, "Hey, we're going to take all these bands on tour with us. We're gonna we're gonna keep having these bands co-write with us," and then all of a sudden, someone like All Time Low, who may not be a band forever 
someone like Alex Gaskarth then has a bunch of really successful co-writing credits. And that's like what I see them doing is like helping these people that were on or potentially on the radio five to 10 years ago get a whole new life in a different sense in music. And that to me is really cool. I think that's great. So I think I haven't been articulating, I think, what my why I'm so angry. Well, you've really just been you've really yeah, just been saying lot. fuck. Um, so while you were a little bit more fond of um, the MySpace band era than I am, sure, I found that era to be totally depressing as a producer. Um, when we had the let's call it the Taking Back Sunday, North Star, you know that era. Even the drive-through bands. Um, I think there were some exceptions to the drive-through bands. Um, there was this genuine scene that still had I had never been alienated by punk rock before. But then when we got into this deep V, swoop tear, image-driven, caring more about promo pics than practicing because all that mattered was that you were good-looking shit, it really, really ruined. Like, I wanted to quit producing, straight up. Um, and I wanted to quit producing until I did Man Overboard's Hung Up on Nothing. And then what happened is I saw a band that wasn't caring about being a male model, kind of embraced that they had a chubby, balding guy as one of the singers and a real nerdy guy as the other one. Like, you know, like when photographers would try to dress them up and I was their manager, it's like, you know, we would say absolutely not. Like, you know, we want to look real. And But what I really love about this era of music right now is it's a part of that whole democratization of music thing, of that... Right now, if you're a good band, you rise up. And there was so much time in that MySpace era where you could be a great band, but if you weren't good-looking, managers wouldn't pay attention to you. And now you get a Menzingers where, you know, I love Tommy, but let's be honest, not a lot of hair on that head. You know, these are not fucking male models. And they're one of, you know, the band can sell out huge, huge venues now. And what I worry about is this five seconds of summer bullshit, boy band shit coming back, just like the MySpace era. Everybody thinks they have to show off and be good-looking and do these, these little, hit these little marks of fashionability, and that becomes what everybody starts focusing on again. I guess I'm act. you know, I think John Feldman's quote was very much out of an act of, like, something he wants to believe because he wants his career to go well. You know what? I, I'm being selfish. I don't ever want to deal with some of the bands that I dealt with during that MySpace era who cared more about their looks than playing their fucking instruments. I love what's going on right now, and I fucking hated that, and it made me miserable to watch these. That's bound to happen again, though, right? It's like, this happens in every... Like, don't you think this happens all the time? Or not all the time, but once, like, it's a cycle. Like, I, well, I, it's a cycle. I, 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 don't you think we're coming no, back so to that I, what cycle? What I think actually it is, is that there's a cycle where, yes, when... Um, Punk or any subgenre starts to make a rise again. Like, I can even call this into a parallel of since I love dance music. Like, we're in an era, we're like basically in the MySpace era of EDM for me right now. Like, it, four years ago, it would be so easy for me to find some cool underground club where I could hear the music I wanted to hear and like not be around a bunch of Jersey Shore looking fucking douchebags. And now, like, even living on the cusp of Bushwick and I live in Williamsburg, it's fucking hard for me to find that now. Yes, there's always going to be this cycle of that 
when the mainstream sees there's some money to be made, they're going to fucking throw models at it and try to commercialize it as bad as they can. But that also doesn't mean that it always succeeds, and that also doesn't always mean that it affects the underground. Um, and what I really hated about that MySpace era is it did affect the underground greatly. I think this will affect the underground, I, too. I should say and this. I'm the man barking at the wind because I have no doubt that five seconds of summer is going to be huge. So I, I, I no, they're like, they like, already like, are like huge, I'm basically right? like, like they, you know the per, the person arguing against gay marriage. It's like, dude, you lost the fight. Just give it up. I, I'm that person who's still fighting. Uh, let's call five seconds of summer gay marriage. They're gonna they're gonna win. <laughs> I'm the um, bigot that's yelling about it and trying to stay in the past. They sold out the forum in L.A., which is like seventeen thousand people in twenty four hours. Are you serious? Wow. Yeah, and you know what? They're a smart band. They they sold the they for like a five or I don't know, for some period amount of time on Saturday, they were at the venue selling the tickets and they like in the in the window box, in the ticket window boxes, and they played an acoustic set and they also had merch to sell there a year out from the show and it sold out in 24 hours. Like smart band, Jesse. <laughs> I I, app- I applaud those moves. I, I applaud their fashion stylists too. <laughs> okay, so with me, I think I think they are going to continue to blow up. I think that I think this will. I don't know that it can affect the underground scene, like quote unquote, the way that MySpace bands affected the underground scene. Even with a, I don't. What what would be your pinnacle of a MySpace band? Forever the sickest kids, let's say, or Mayday Parade, like any of any any of that okay, stuff. So, any of that yeah, pretty let's boy take, shit. Like any of those fearless. Any of those fearless bands are all time low. Sure, like let's take any of those bands. All time low is the, that was the one that made me sick. Okay, so let's take all time low. The biggest they ever got was signing to a major and crashing and burning. And yes, they they've done they've they're an incredibly successful band. Me personally, I'm a fan of the band. But you know they they tour and the biggest they've ever gotten is touring in a two to three thousand, and. Uh, you know, cap room and selling those out. And that's great. But that's like the biggest they got, right? And uh, Forever the Sickest Kids were never nearly that big. Um, Mayday Parade are around that level. But that was kind of the peak of it. Then you take, you go like a few years earlier, bands like Taking Back Sunday or Brand New or My Chemical Romance all got various levels of larger success. Or they used, like you said uh, before. Um, but so five seconds of summer is so completely different to me than any of those like MySpace bands for the for the sole reason that they're going to open up with over two hundred thousand copies sold in the first week and they sold out really seven that big it's gonna yeah it's gonna be two hundred thousand copies and they sold out they sold out an arena in twenty four hours right like th- this isn't like a this isn't a band of course like that was calling themselves pop punk had neon and then and then died out two years later like yes five seconds of summer will eventually die out but it's gonna it it takes a lot it can usually take a much longer time when you have millions of fans compared to a hundred thousand myspace fans right and so uh, what i'm saying is i don't and this might be similar to the whole avril thing to get back to that like I don't know how five seconds of summer can truly poison the well because I don't know how, even if they love All Time Low or Good Charlotte or Boys Like Girls, like, is there any, like, 
possible chance for any of those bands that we're talking about that they have that they like and that they want to work with like there's really no feasible chance for those bands to get as large as five seconds of summer or even remotely that large so it's not like five seconds of summer are on a comparable level right now to all these other bands it's not like five seconds of summer is the all-time low to forever the sickest kids like five seconds of summer is a beast and all these other things are just like you know they're they're great or they're big for us, but they're not. They're a, they're a little speck. They're they're a tenth of the size of each arena that Five Seconds of Summer will be selling out next year. So in my mind, like I don't know that we can't have both sides of those worlds now. And again, this is I don't I don't necessarily think Five Seconds of Summer are like a pop punk band. Like I think of Blink or like I don't know Sum Forty One as a pop punk band, Newfound Glory. But I don't know that they that it's so really terrifying, and I think a lot of people are legitimately like concerned with Five Second Summer being calling themselves a fan of pop punk and what that means. When in reality, like I don't think like the Menzingers might have no idea who that band is. You know, like Joyce Manor might have no idea who that band is. Like all those bands in that you were talking about that are not attractive, like quote unquote, right? That are like not the prettiest boys they got they got here cuz they made their good music and now they're on epitaph records i don't know that this will affect that like it did 10 years ago during the whole myspace thing then that's kind of like where i want to get at or that's where i've wanted to and so do you think that's i want i want you to be right but i'm worried you're not i don't know you know i think there's that that really weird thing of that there was like that point i want to call it like the 303 era like MySpace kind of peaks with the rock thing and then like half the music business goes, you know what I got to start doing? I got to start cashing in on those pop bands. And, you know, everybody starts reaching for that like next Rubicon of like getting into the like, you know, that 303 money. And you even like, you know, you get like those fucking clowns who ran drive through like managing that fucking shit band All-Star Weekend and like... God, we're really going to have to use the explicit tag for this episode. I, it's just my passion, Zach. You know, it's just, it's, as, as you can see, I'm, I'm much more passionate about this than other things. I'm passionate about this democratization of music. I love that fans are choosing more than the music business what gets popular. And I'm kind of believing in a free market of music, even though I'm an anti-free market person. I just see, once this gets successful, that we get more of these managers trying to chase that fucking boy band shit again and the good bands like the Joyce Manners and the Hotel Years and whoever else we want to do uh, to say that aren't made up of a bunch of male models and just don't put time into wondering what their fashion stylist will dress them in. I like that they get popular and I don't want to see this trope play out again because I fucking hated it. I don't really want to see it play out either, but I just don't see how it. I just don't see how it will get to the point. Like, I what what is the cross in my mind? Like, and I I don't know what the cross point was in the MySpace era because I got a MySpace when I was in sixth grade and it was over by the time I was in seventh grade. Like, you know, I wasn't like I wasn't like fifteen when MySpace was a thing. I was like eleven. Um, so I don't know when the cross point was where when, 
you know, I don't know what point it was when Epitaph decided they needed to sign Escape Escape the Fate, right? Like, I don't know when that happened. And that... That and, like, Boys Like Girls, that was a, that was a real... I, I think I w- once uh, saw those videos back-to-back and I had to walk outside of the house and scream for a little while. Right, so at some point, that cross happened. Um, so, again, with this, like, to me, to me, MySpace... Again, I wasn't, like, the heaviest user of it because I was too young, which I yes. think is a little funny to say. But... Um, to me, I think it made sense as a system and like everyone could see how many plays you had, whether you were cheating it or not. Like you could see the plays, you could see the fans, you could see like the interaction, what, what dumb level of horrific HTML coding everything had. Right. And like, it was very, I feel like it was easy for a label to go, boy, they get a million plays a day. Like, I don't know if that's legitimate or, but like, yeah, I got to, got to sign them. Here's a bidding war. No, like, obviously, in the five seconds of summer category, no one's starting a bidding war there. Like, that's just straight to, no indie label, rather. That's just straight to major stuff. But now, when it's something like, so what band, what, like, boy boy bands are going to be inspired by five seconds of summer? I'm sure there will be many. To be honest with you, I, you know, I've listened to that One Direction record. There's some songs on it that I don't think are that, that, no, I don't think they're that far from like good, if you th- good Charlotte's last record, which I also will admit. I don't say you like that. I even, I even like the dance. I stuff. do. Oh, that's so. So I'm really religious. all by credibility as with this argument. Yeah, you're, <laughs> you're, 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 you're blasting this. Yeah, <laughs> like my prop. My problem is, is good Charlotte punk. Whoa, whoa, the real question here is good Charlotte punk band to you, Jesse Cano. No. There's yeah, impeach they're, 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 they're not punk, but I, you know, I listen to fucking Katy Perry too. It's not like everything I listen to is punk, right? But like, so I, th- I think they're, so I think they're the same thing. It's, it's the same matter. thing I think about Forever Sick as Kids. I don't think that's fucking punk. I think it has a heavy guitar. That's hard, hard rock pop. I just, like punk to me is a realness, and it's about a realness, and you know, not this pandering bullshit. And this is pandering bullshit, and I don't find that punk and. <laughs> Famously, Black Dahlia from the Dwarves, one of the punkest bands on earth and one of the fucking coolest, baddest motherfuckers who's ever lived. He wrote those good... I just learned about the Dwarves. One of my favorite <laughs> bands of all time. Um, and he wrote those... They scare yeah, me. Yeah, they should scare you. That's what they're meant to be. That's why they're punk, is they're m- meant to scare people. And um, But, you know, he wrote those good Charlotte songs knowing he's appear- appealing to the lowest common denominator. Like, he got the joke. Girls don't like boys. Girls like cars and money. Like, he's, like, literally making fun of his fucking audience. Yes. And he gets the fucking joke. There's something to me that's a little punk about that, but, like, I'm sorry. Like, Hey, Britney by Forever Six Kids is one of my probably favorite songs of the last ten years. There's nothing fucking punk about that fucking song. It is fucking cheese out the wazoo. I So I, I agree. Like, there is nothing... I like that song. I don't think it's a punk song. I also I don't necessarily like the um there's that there's the five second summer song with oh, the American God. Peril lyric. So catchy. Sure, it's very well written, I don't, but like but, but the pan, the, right, pan, it's the very pandering well written, like, inserting that American apparel line, the pandering in it just makes me want to fucking vomit over the whole world. But why but like would you vomit if Katy Perry did that? Yeah, to be honest with you, I think even Katy Perry's more sincere. And there was this really interesting article I read about Katy Perry even too that I think is a, even more a great example of the way the music business is changing and why I don't like this. Um it was an article about how there's been more songs written by female singers increasingly each year. Um and it kind of corresponds to the rise of like 
you know, uh, somebody called it, I think the article called it the, I'm going to have to find this and I'll put this in the show notes, the Googleification of music. Um, and so what it basically what I was talking about is that just the same way that like um, Quentin Tarantino and Kevin Smith during the Pulp Fiction and Clerks era um, brought a realness to dialogue. Like every movie in the 80s and the early 90s was so fake with like dialogue and you're like, oh, wow, that's so cheesy. And then all of a sudden people started talking like people and it kind of goes into the thing of like just showing how much more like the lyrics in the Katy Perry stuff is also starting to be a little less cliche. Now, we could also cite lines that are horribly cliche and double entendres and like every Britney Spears song has to be some crazy double entendre. What they did show, though, is like there's this like a more honest and vulnerable lyric and they like kind of made a comparison to like a bunch of the number one songs in 1989, the 1990 died, 2009 and today and how like you know, and you could extract different things, but like lyrics are getting a little bit more real. And also what's interesting is like most of who buys pop music is teenage females and how right. the lyrics are now written more from a teenage female perspective and how it's getting more real for their emotions. Or I, what I should say is with the correlation to this is for me is when I hear those pandering lyrics about the American uh, apparel shirt, that just seems like the fakeness that was inherent in older music, and that's why I think even Katy Perry is a better pop star, or Lady Gaga, for that matter. Um, those lyrics are more real than, let's say, you know, than you hear Britney Spears or Christina Aguilera uh, songs. And they're just these cheesy double entendres with no honesty, and that's what I don't like in music. All super fair. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. What? The only the only thing more I want to say, and then we I think actually have now a nice transition to the other thing I wanted to talk about was just that there seems to legitimately be a lot of people very concerned about what if like it seems like you you don't want this to happen because you don't want it to erode at something that that's going on right now that's very cool, which is something like Menzingers or Hotel Year. I do want it to happen, or I'm okay with it happening because. Uh, I may not consider All Time Low a like really real pop punk band, but I'm happy for them to get notoriety that I think they should have gotten five years ago. Or I'm happy for uh, the singer of Five Seconds of Summer who has like five million Twitter followers to tweet about something corporate. Like I, I'm, I'm good with that. I want that to happen. I think that's awesome. I think that's really cool that someone or four people that have this reach to millions of people can... Uh, like broadcast something that I've loved for many years. I've never been the person that's been like, fuck, I don't want you to like this band too. I like them. They're mine. No, no, that's um, silly. There are a lot of people like that though. And so to me, like, it's very cool to have the opposite effect of that where there's this guy with 3 million followers and he's tweeting about a song from something corporate that no, that maybe, you know, 10,000 10, people in the next five years who are under the age of 15 now will ever find out about. Like, that's awesome to me. And I know, like, I can't, I wonder how many hundreds of thousands of people Googled that lyric and then listened to the song. And maybe they listened to more songs by them or maybe they didn't listen to anything. But that's cool. That's great to me. Um, and so, to me, like, I don't think it's going to be this large disaster because at the end of the day, like, Tumblr now is a really big place. It's bigger than MySpace was. And I don't think 
Like you, I don't. Is think that actually has, like a, a quantitatable fact? Uh, I just said that not knowing it, <laughs> but I assume it is. Okay, I'd be curious. We we we, we should quantify that for the uh, the next episode. I want I want to. We should. We'll, we'll follow okay. up on that. We'll follow up. Yeah, yeah. And so, but let's say it is so for this assumption. Uh, I think it's a lot easier now because to just see what you want to see or be involved in what you want to be involved in. And if you only want to stick with your punk band, your true punk bands, like Menzingers or Joyce Manor or Hotelier, like those that, those bands, I don't think that, like, we need to be worried about, like, what is Five Seconds of Summer going to do that's going to have some kind of unparalleled effect that we can't really uh, predict today on the uh, Menzingers album that comes out in uh, 2016. Like I don't, I don't think that's a really valid or legitimate concern. Like it might have been uh, in two thousand five or two thousand seven during MySpace years, where everything was, oh God, gotta sign out to Epitaph or Fearless or Hopeless. I think the worlds are so vastly different now from where everything was, where it was a little more condensed and close together in in those mid two thousand years compared to where it is in two thousand fourteen that there is going to be overlap in the fact that you get an Alex Gasgarth writing with this band or a John Feldman producing with this band, but yet it just feels to me much more separate than something like what the Menzingers and Joyce Manor are doing. Those bands truly don't give any fucks. And I think they're going to continue writing the music that they want to write without Five Seconds of Summer having any input on that in any kind of... In any kind of traceable way. I, I agree with you on all that, but here's the one thing, is there's always so much oxygen in the room, and there's only so much attention people can give to music, and what I just don't like the idea of is that these pretty bands who don't practice their instruments and get somebody else to write their song start getting more attention again, and we start moving towards that world, and it sucks some of the oxygen that these great bands who are writing sincere music without the help of some cheesy car. I want to really get into why I hate co-writing one day, too. I know you and Evan talked about that on the Voice and Verse podcast, but I have some things to say about that, too. I want to make one uh, point before we move on, too, is that I do think it's funny because I talked about John Feldman's self-interest. I admit my opinions about self-interest, but isn't your opinion a little self-interest, too, because then you get more people looking at your site, et cetera, et cetera? Uh, I've never made a post about Five Seconds of Summer. So, yes, but if they, their fame trickles down to something corporate or who all-time low in beds you cover, doesn't that make your site bigger? Yeah, absolutely. So, 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 this- so aren't all our opinions informed by our self-interest? I mean, I think most opinions are, but I think like yours and mine's are. But I don't know about the I don't know about the random kid posting on Absolute Punk that he is scared of this being World War Three. No, I'm talk- talking about, about you, me, you, me, and you, me, and uh, John Feldman. I, I'm more trying to make the point for full disclosure that I'm not pretending here that my opinion's not about that, and I think it's important to say it. <laughs> I would love a band I cover to get on the radio, and it's going to be great for me. I think probably, but I'm. I've. I think it'd be great for them too. Obviously, so yeah. I guess yeah. Certainly, it, we are. We all do have our self-interest. I just um, wanted to get that out, out out there because I think it's important to be intellectually honest about those things. Fair enough. Um, okay, so this is actually somewhere what we were talking about. I, I thought of this interesting transition. So uh, last week. I think it was last week. Uh, Joyce Manor did this interview on Noisy uh, about their new album that a lot of people are liking. It's called Never Hung Over Again. 
Uh, it's out now on Epitaph. I will put a link to stream the album in the show notes. Um, but midway, or maybe it was at the start of this interview, um, the interviewer asked about basically like about the bands that they are specifically influenced by. So let's say a Weezer, um, but that their music fan wise, a lot of time gets sucked up by people that are on Tumblr, uh, to give you some non-factual facts, like <laughs> they are probably the most popular band Tumblr-wise on my website. Yeah, um, they don't give me the most traffic or anything, but in terms of like the actual likes and reblogs on Tumblr posts about them, they probably average like at least a hundred notes per post, which is unbelievable. They, they, uh, they have just some crazy Tumblr fan enthusiasm. I think that's yeah, the best the way to put it. Like- the, only, the single only band that does better than them in terms of the actual Tumblr interaction on Property Zach is brand new. Hmm. Uh, more than Blink, more than, you know, like our bread and butter of like Man Overboard, more than any of these bands, it is them. Um, and so in this interview, they, they basically answered sort of like uh, a few years ago when they released their second album, they themselves think that they got like very heavily uh, grouped in with like the defend pop punk culture world. And uh, I found that really interesting. They said they wanted to like get away from that. It made them feel very uncomfortable. It made them feel not so good in the sense that they didn't think that they had anything in common with the Wonder Years or Such Gold or obviously like a man overboard if we're just talking about defend pop punk literally in that origin. Mm-hmm. Um, so they said, uh, once our album came out, we were, we were very embraced by that community, that community being Defend Pop Punk, and we weren't necessarily comfortable with that. So we kind of made this reactionary record where it sort of focused on what we weren't good at and tried to, and tried to succeed that way. Um, it's interesting to me now, coming off of this conversation we just had about Five Seconds of Summer, where you, Jesse, are like, or a lot of people like Absolute Punk, you, random people on Twitter, a lot of people on Twitter, are concerned that like Five Seconds of Summer is going to ruin these scenes that we have in some way. They're going to take the oxygen out of the room for the punk world, for the pop, for the real pop punk world. Yeah, then there are bands that are like, you know, punk, uh, being scared that this defend pop punk thing that started for, I don't know, what was it, four years, five years ago, um, also has, like, ruined punk. Yet at the same time, uh, me me being uh, maybe, like, the lead... Uh, not the leader, but, like, the person that says <laughs> this... A, <laughs> the person that says this a ton is that, like... Property Zach wouldn't exist without this, like, defend pop punk thing. It really interested me. It, it sucked me back into this music I used to love, and I'm still here, and I love it to death. I don't necessarily love every random band on pure noise that's like a pop punk band or whatever label it is but i love i i think it was great i think it helped develop this community i think it i think it brought back a community of pop punk stuff um that i was never privy to growing up until i was about 17 when i heard real talk and uh the upsides and so i i think i want to what do you think jesse then about a band where they they don't think they're a pop punk band at all and they take adverse they take like they get offended, right? They were offended, like, musically as artists to be grouped in with something like this that is clearly uh, much more level-headed than something like Five Seconds of Summer in the sense that it's not mainstream. But 
I I don't want Five Seconds of Summer to ruin punk, and I don't, or, you know, and I don't want it to ruin like defend pop punk if we're going to group it up like that. But it seems like there are so many people, like absolute punk at its finest, that think like defend pop punk. Is this what we're being defended by? This shit sucks. Like. It's curious to me that even within our own genre, there are still fears of this this kind of aspect of music ruining all the punk stuff. Yeah, we're talking about something that's so out of our world with Five Seconds of Summer. Yes. So here's what makes good punk. And um, there's this really great, great, great story um, from the early days of punk of... I, I might get this wrong. The Sex Pistols heard the Ramones and thought the way they would sound more aggressive and didn't think they were punk enough because they weren't talking about politics. And so they also decided to make a treblier record than the Ramones. And then the Buzzcocks, who were a band basically formed after seeing the Sex Pistols, said, well, we have to outdo the Sex Pistols and we're going to go even treblier. And punk is always about seeing something that you don't like in it and then finding your rebellion to that and I think that that's a absolutely great thing and the one thing I could say that will be great about five seconds of summer is maybe we'll get a legitimate rebellion against this that makes it everything even stronger um you know this is there's this constant thing of you know mad overboard was very much of rebellion against myspace bands and it's funny because then you have these even more punk bands that, you know, like, while I love Menzingers and Man Overboard as people dearly, I can remember the Menzingers making fun of the Defend Pop Punk shirts, too, and me having to laugh with them because I'm their manager and the producer at the time. And, uh, yeah, it's a, I think it's a, a good thing um, that people should do this. I think that we're all trying to find our niche. And, yeah, you know, um, there's something cheesy about Defend Pop Punk, even if I love a lot of the music aside from it. It's I think it is. I think it's super cheesy too, in a sense. But I also think it did. I think like you and I can see that you and I probably got a better view of this than anyone. Like it, like you know, in that defend pop punk group, there's like twenty thousand people now. There mm-hmm. were a thousand people in there like a year and a half ago. You no, know, like, not a year and a uh, half ago. Okay, whatever, a few years ago. But like, it's clearly like I think it created a, a niche within our, you know punk culture and it did help people find a ton of music that they loved and helped a lot of bands grow and it helped a lot of bands just develop or tour better or do all the or get a manager or get a label um all of these things and to me like that's really good um yeah it's cheesy in the in the in the actual sense that it's like did pop punk need defending or wasn't this just a rip-off t-shirt like all that stuff sure but you know, like, I don't know that it's the end of the world that Joyce Manor didn't fit in next to a band like The Wonder Years and they had to write a record against that. To me, that, like, cool. Like, a lot of people seem to like this record. I like it, too. I've never been a huge fan of the band's music, but I like the record, and so that's great for me. Um, but it's just a little, like, it's a little funny to me that, you know, in the same week, there's all this stuff about five seconds of summer like potentially ruining everything or that it's a tragedy that all press would dare put them on the cover of their magazine um and in the same week like joyce manor 
minorly slammed, uh, you know, Man Overboard or The Wonder Years or Such Gold for being considered anything like them. I don't know. I I find it just like I don't like. Is it that big of a deal? Like I I I'm like it surprises me that it could really really piss off an artist that they got thrown in with something that's really not foreign to where they came from that helped them grow a little or that has helped them now be the biggest band Tumblr-wise around in our world. I think any band that's making relevant music is always struggling with their identity and probably, I mean, you know, I can remember how mad Radiohead was getting for a while about Creep being the song they were associated with or, like, just having frat boy idiot fans. Like, you know, you're constantly struggling and, you know, like, the, the biggest curse, and I talk about this like a lot, that the bands in the studio, as they get popular, they get really down about how big of idiots some of their fans are. And I know everybody's like, I love my fans, I love my fans, but there's some of your fans you fucking hate because they're morons. And the sad curse of being a good artist is um, you're usually about five steps ahead of all your fans. And in taste, life, knowledge, whatever, and... It's a curse, and how you struggle with that is a lot of what makes you a good artist. And, like, Joyce Mayer, I think it was very mature of them to say, like, we rebelled against that, and maybe we weren't totally adjusted to it yet and, like, went a little bit past our means. That's a big part of records. I think it's one of those things that, like, when I read long-winded album reviews, um, everybody's getting poetic when I think this is a much more interesting part, and I don't think people talk to bands enough about this, that, you know, there's oftentimes a really, really serious rebellion going on in them towards some aspect of their newfound fame and fandom and et cetera that they want to steer away from or towards. Yeah, that's interesting. I guess I don't really get to see that perspective. Like, you you get to see that perspective in some sense the best because... I help shape it, yeah. Yeah, you help shape it. I mean, I, I um, before a band comes in the studio every time, I say, okay, you especially if I, this is a, not their first record, I say, so what are we trying to do different than the last one? Mm-hmm. And I then will do my damnedest to make a plan on how we do that as best as possible. And I guess we even talked about this an episode or two ago, uh, hmm, maybe, uh, where, or if that episode has not come out yet, <laughs> where just regarding how, like the way the way you have to help shape an artist, but do it not do it in a fake sense, right? Like we had this whole conversation. I don't know when we had this conversation. I don't either. Where, but just in the basic sense of you, you, it is your job to help make something. Like if if something does want to be changed, an album to an album, it's your job to help see that vision through. But you might also have to say like. Maybe you shouldn't do the vocals like that. Right? Yeah. I, so I have a philosophy as a producer. I say it like last night I was working with Hayana and, uh, you know, I turned to them at the end of a thing. They said they heard the lead vocal back and they said, that's not punchy and aggressive enough. And me and the, sing- the girl who was singing wanted to make it pretty on this thing. And we then did the punchy way. I turned to them and I said, I think you guys are smoking crack, but... I'm going to do whatever you decide in the end because it's your name on the record and it's your artistic vision that I'm trying to accomplish, but I do not agree. And they don't agree and my way won't be on the record, but I voiced my opinion and then I stepped down after that because I learned coming up, like the reason I became a producer is I would say my opinion and the producer would just do theirs anyway. Right. Whew. <laughs> that was a lot. I'm very concerned for... 
I apologize in advance to my grandmother who will listen to this on the car ride home next Sunday. And she'll say, why does that guy that you talk with curse so much? People have been saying that about me for about 20 years now. So I curse a lot less than I used to. Boy, (laughs) can't wait to hear that. (laughs) (laughs) One time I did a speech at a school, uh, recording school. And they made the class project after I left to learn how to bleep out all the curses I said during my speech. That's great. I feel like there there should be like some sort of music industry technology course on that of how to best bleep out people you work with cursing on recorded stuff. <laughs> all right. So you have any recommendations? Um, oh, we're still taping, aren't we? Mm-hmm. Uh, I recommend... God, I don't listen to much music, do I? Um, <laughs> I recommend... <laughs> I recommend a podcast called uh, Roderick on the Line that I'll link to in the show notes. Um, It is my favorite general podcast. It has nothing to do with tech or music or really anything. It's what I would... It's just this guy, John Roderick, who used to be in a band called The Long Winters. They were on Barsook uh, and uh, co-hosted with this other really great smart guy named Merlin Mann. It's just a conversation about whatever is on this guy's mind every week, and it is just the best. That is what that is all I have. Cool. I can't wait to check that out. I like Merlin Mann a lot. Mm. What about you? You have anything? Masters of Sex is the best show on television right now. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna start watching that too. It's just, um, I was telling you before the show started. Michael Apted's been directing the season. He's this guy who's been since the Beatles broke, been following people around, and every seven years makes a documentary about what they've been doing with their lives. It's called the Seven Up series, and uh, he's directing the show now. And he is just—I I think the last two episodes were two of the best written episodes of television in the history of TV. Well, there we go. Watch it. <laughs> Thank you to everyone for listening to Off The Record this week. Head to offtherecord.fm to check out show notes, to leave us any feedback. Jesse can be found at Twitter, at Jesse Cannon. I'm at Z Zarillo, and our podcast is at Off The Record FM. We'll be back next week.